So our scripture reading for the night is uh, Genesis chapter 29. Uh, let's then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well, and see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban another seven years. When the, children, or when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon. And she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. 
And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Again, God, thank you for this time. Um, Thank you for... um, got an opportunity to look at your word to read these uh, these stories these passages that have uh, are are full of these uh, these pictures for us about um, who you are uh, and who you have called us to be god we thank you for them uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we are not people who are given over to a subjective faith where we just trust in our own um, inclinations and we and we trust in our own impressions of things, God, but we can look into your word. We can see you uh, in its pages. Um, God, thank you that you have made yourself known. Um, and we ask that you would do that even more so in the time uh, that we have here today. Um, God, that you would, through the power of the Holy Spirit, um, enlighten, shine light on this text. Um, God, so that we could understand it rightly, that we could apply it to our hearts, and that we could live our lives uh, accordingly. Um, help us to do this in your power. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, big story, right? Long passage um, of text and kind of multiple little scenes, acts in there um, for us to, to get to. So, so we'll kind of do a recap, and, and as we go, um, we learn a few things about Jacob um, that begin to fill out his character. As you remember, in this series, is called Wrestling with God. We've talked about these different ways that we, um, one, see Jacob um, wrestling against um, God as God forms him into to the patriarch that he is called him to be, as he forms him into the, to the, the person that he is called him to be. And the reality is, is that God did that with Jacob. He did that with the nation of Israel, um, who is named after Jacob. And he does that in our own lives too, right? Our lives are characterized by a kind of struggling against God. We are continuing to figure it out and, and um, uh, for God to, little by little, uh, hammer and shape and mold us into the people that he has called us to be. And so we see something about Jacob in this passage, right? We've learned a few things about him. And honestly, um, the things that we learn about Jacob here at the beginning of this story are actually better things. Jacob has not been painted with a great brush so far, right? He seemed to be kind of a selfish and self-centered and deceptive and manipulative person. But we see a little bit different side of him in this. He, he makes his way to Haran and he providentially becomes upon this well uh, and finds out where he's at, realizes he's there. And there are all these shepherds who are gathered there um, at the well. And so so um, one thing that we notice is he asks this question, how come um, you're not out there shepherding your flocks out in the fields? And the answer is, well, because we all have to come, all the shepherds in the area come to the well and we wait till everybody gets here before we roll this big stone away. OK, and probably what's going on there is it's simply laziness. It is the shepherds who are looking and saying, I'm not going to be the guy who does all the hard work to move this stone. We're not doing that hard work until everybody shows up and we can all share in the 
labor. But Jacob steps forward, probably because he's a little bit showing off for Rachel, right? Jacob steps forward and moves this stone by himself so that the day can get on. But that's sort of a picture of the way we see Jacob in the future. Jacob's not a lazy man. Even though he was kind of, we talked about him being one that liked to stay in the tents, and we almost wondered if he was kind of kind of a sissy in some ways. That doesn't seem to be the picture that we have of him now, right? He is He's a hardworking person. He's probably a strong um, person. He is willing to get the day going, and, and, and he's going to be a guy who works very hard for his uncle Laban over these next 14 to 20 years that he is in the service of Laban. Um, he's also a passionate man. And so when he finally meets Rachel and he sees her, and it's sort of this love at first sight thing, he, I think he probably realizes that God has brought him to this place and providentially set it up. He sort of breaks down and he starts crying, right? Um, he's, he's not a cold, heartless person. He's a person of emotion and passion. He's not as calculating and, and, and stuff as maybe we have seen him in the past. And God's going to use that, right? He's going to shape all these things in uh, Jacob's character um, to his own ends. Um, but still, he continues to seemingly be ignorant of God's providence in his life. This story is very much like the story that we find just a few chapters back when Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for Isaac. And in that story, at every step of the way, the servant is doing this. God, if, if you'll reveal to me who I'm supposed to talk to, if you'll make these things happen, God, if you'll make me get there, and the servant is very aware of God's working in the situation. Just like it was at Bethel, Jacob kind of stumbles into this thing, right? He's not praying about it. He's not asking God about it. He just shows up at a well, and he's like, hey, where am I? And they're like, Haran. And he's like, oh, cool. That's where I've been trying to get to. Do you know Laban? Yeah, here comes his daughter. Oh, cool. Great. You know, I've been looking for her, too. Like, he's not thinking in the context of God aligning these things. There's, he's just letting life happen to him, okay? Which, again, points us to the fact that Jacob's not where he needs to be yet. God is still moving him on this journey to become the person that he's called him to be. But for all this stuff that we learn about Jacob, I don't think this story is about Jacob. Um, he's not the main character in the story. And I'm going to show you why I think it's somebody else. So look at verse 15. So he gets to the well. He meets Rachel. Um, and it says in verse 15, it says, Then Jacob said, Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your be, be your wages? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. And Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Right? So we have talked about this idea of primogeniture, okay, where the oldest son is the one who gets the, the bulk of the estate, right? And that played a big part in, in Jacob and Esau's story. Well, there is a sort of a, uh, a cultural equivalent with daughters. Daughters are typically married off from the oldest down, right? So you don't marry off the, old, the younger daughters until you've married off the older daughters. They kind of get first pick or something like you would say. Um, as probably most of us are aware, marriage in the ancient world wasn't really like marriage is today. Um, it was typically not something that individuals made decisions about, but it was a family decision um, about, uh, about marriage, especially a decision among the fathers of the, the bride and the groom. So it's not primarily about love or romance or attraction or 
personal choice even, fathers were making decisions for the well-being of their families, right? They were making decisions where they said, this child will, um, I'm, I'm hoping that my child will have a better life because I've aligned them with, with a good spouse or whatever. Um, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that romance and attraction didn't come into the story oftentimes. Um, just like in this story, Jacob and Rachel seem to be very much in love or at least in infatuation with each other. Actually, to be technical, Jacob is in love with Rachel. We don't actually hear what Rachel thinks about the situation, right? We, if you notice, we're never told that she is, um, you know, digging Jacob's chili. But but she, uh, but she, it's obvious that, that Jacob loves Rachel. He is very attracted to Rachel. And so then what happens is the language gets a little confusing there when it starts talking about the two girls. Um, Rachel's description is pretty much straightforward, and we understand what it's talking about. It says she is beautiful in form and appearance, right? So that means she's conventionally attractive um, by, by standards of the day. But Leah's description is a little more confusing. The word that is describes her eyes um, is literally delicate or fragile. That's what the word literally means. But it is rendered, depending on which translation you have, in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it says weak eyes or tender eyes. But then other translations, it says ordinary eyes or plain eyes. And then other translations will even say she had lovely eyes or attractive eyes, right? So you immediately realize that we're not sure what he is trying to get at using that word delicate or fragile. Um, those are very different things, right? Weak, plain, or attractive are very different concepts. But I think that it's pretty obvious what is going on. These two girls are being juxtaposed against each other. One of them is saying uh, she was attractive to people, and the other one is saying she was perceived negatively for some reason, right? It's, this isn't a compliment about her eyes. There was a dysfunction there, or there was maybe a deformity there, or there was just something that was considered not attractive. The point is, Rachel is desirable, and Leah is not. Okay, that's what the passage is getting at. So verse 19, Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than I should marry her to some other man. So stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her, right? That's, that's sort of a, you know, it, it paints Jacob in a little different picture than maybe we've seen him so far. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban, Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast, a wedding feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Okay? Um, probably many of us are, are familiar with this story. And, and I don't know about you, but the first thing that I think is, okay, come on. Like, how did this actually happen? Right? Um, how, how, how could this situation have have presented itself and and we probably need to say three things a it was dark okay and that sounds like too simplistic but think about this in a world that we don't have real dark here right you know you have electric lights there's always a little bit of light you go out to where there are no electrical lights where it's dark and you realize that when it's dark dark like you can't see your hand in front of your face that's the world that they lived in you get a little way away from a fire and you are in pitch blackness okay so that's the first part two 
typically in wedding ceremonies, they would have veils. And so a lot of times the, the bride would come completely veiled, sometimes like head to toe veiled. So you wouldn't be able to see her at all. And again, if she doesn't, if she remains veiled until you get to the honeymoon tent, then, then maybe there's a piece there. Um, Three, honestly, alcohol was probably involved. That probably played a role in, in this whole thing. Um, you mix those three things in with verse 21, which has that phrase that is very blunt about Jacob's eagerness to be um, married. And so you have a recipe um, for disaster there, right? And so he wakes up the next morning, and it is not Rachel that is there with him, but it's Leah. And Jacob is rightly outraged, right? He demands of, Jake, uh, of Laban in verse 25, What is this that you've done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? And Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Okay, there's a whole lot of passive aggressiveness in that line if you're picking up. Let me, let me give you a paraphrased translation um, of that. Basically, Laban is saying to Jacob, I've heard about what happened back in your home country, and I don't know how you guys do things, but here we don't give the younger person what the older person deserves, right? And so this is basically, you've heard the phrase, turnabout is fair play, right? Jacob is getting what was coming to him in a sense, right? Um, The way that he deceived people, the way that he swindled his older sibling out of what was deserved, now he has been swindled. Um, He understands what it's like, as we said a couple weeks ago, to be the means to somebody else's ends, right? Um, And probably, as we read this story, we think, man, you know what? Jacob kind of got what he deserved, right? He finally it came back on him in, in a, a negative way. And it would be easy to see that passage in that light, thinking this was just a story kind of funny about how Jacob got what he deserved, except for one thing, and that's Leah, right? Um, this story is, is not funny. It's tragic because of Leah's position in it. Um, Leah is put in this agonizing situation here, right? She is a pawn through this whole thing. She is treated with disregard by her father and then with contempt by her now husband. Um, her father is basically playing this game where it seems like all he's trying to do is get her off his hands, right? And so imagine the indignity of that, this idea that I just kind of want you out. Um, there's obviously this thing that some people see as undesirable in you. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to pawn you off on somebody, so I'm going to trick this guy and get you off of my hands. Now, from Jacob's perspective, he's rightly angry, right? And this isn't his fault in general. Um, he was not in love with Leah. Um, he had no intention of being. Um, he, he didn't choose her. This was not his offense. But because of this accidental consummation of their marriage, he is bound to her now, right? They are together. Um, and then what happens next is even more heart-wrenching for the, per- for the role of Leah, Because another deal is struck in verse 27. So Laban says, complete this one week with Leah, and then we will give you the other one also in return for another seven years of work. Jacob did so and completed her week, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. And in verse 30, so Jacob went in to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. 
and served Laban for another seven years. Okay. Now, sometimes uh, commentators will say that what happened is he worked seven years, got Leah, worked seven years, got Rachel. I don't think that's the way the wording makes us think. What happens is he worked seven years, got Leah, a week later got Rachel, and then worked another seven years to pay off the, the, the bridal price, okay? And so here's the deal. We all understand what's going to happen here. We all understand how this story is going to play out. Jacob now has two wives, a beautiful one whom he loves and wants to be with, and an unattractive one whom he doesn't love and never wanted, all right? And so we know what's going to happen to Leah in real life. Leah lived as a resented wife for one week, and then we can only presume that she is banished to a tent somewhere while Jacob and Rachel are given free reign to, to be a young, um, love, in love married couple. I once heard a pastor uh, teaching on, on marriage and singleness, and he made this comment. He said, there is only one thing that is worse than being single and alone, and that's being married and alone. And I think that's exactly where Leah finds herself. She is a woman who desperately wants to know the love of a husband. And even though now she is finally married, which maybe she thought she never would be, she finds herself farther from that love than she had ever been before. So here's the thing that we have to realize, I think, about this passage. Even though we're reading a longer narrative about Jacob, um, I don't think chapter 29 is about Jacob. It's about Leah. Leah is the character that we're zooming in here. And she gives us a picture about God's love and God's faithfulness and how he cares for those who have been forgotten and and pushed aside. And the thing is, we might even miss it if we're not paying attention closely. So God sees Leah's plight. God sees that she is this um, abandoned wife. And God intends for her to find love and find acceptance, the acceptance that she's looking for. But it may not be in the place that she was looking for it. So look at verse 31. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, right? That's a strong word. Um, this isn't just a situation where, you know, Leah is the and also wife. She is, she is hated compared to Rachel. When he saw, when the Lord saw that she, Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So God notices, and though she may be unloved and unwanted and undesired by her husband, God gives her a trump card, you could say. Um, and that is the ability to bear children. Rachel, the beloved wife, is barren. She is unable to have children, but Leah can have children. And that's incredibly important in this culture, right? And again, you probably, if you've read the Bible any amount and kind of studied some of it, you know that. Probably, and this might, this is, isn't an exaggeration, probably the most important characteristic you could have as a woman in this time period was to produce children, and more particularly produce male children, even though we realize now with genetics that that's really on the man to produce males or females. But anyway, um, if you could give birth to children, and especially male children, that was the best thing that you could have. And guess what? Rachel can't have kids, but Leah can, and she produces sons. And so... Leah is not all of a sudden completely abandoned because Jacob treats her as a wife because suddenly she has this thing that she that is better than something that Leah has. And so we see in verse 32, Leah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. 
she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. Leah is not the first woman to think that by getting pregnant, she could somehow endear a man to herself. And that's exactly what's going on here, right? Um, so much so that she literally names the kids based on the plight and the problem she's having with her husband, right? And so Reuben's name basically means, look, a son I gave you. And Simeon basically means here. And it's basically the idea that God has heard me and given me another another son. Levi is, is comes from the word that means attached. And so it's saying she's saying, I'm naming this child because now my husband will be attached to me. With which if we think about it, is a little bit weird, right? To name your kids based on the problems you're having with your husband, right? So I was thinking to be like in, in modern times, if you had three kids and you named them no video games. Get a job and grow up, right? Like that would, it's, it's sort of, and if people would come along to that family and go, something's going on here, right? Uh, this is probably not the ideal relationship. Um, she knows what she wants, and she knows what she thinks she needs. She thinks that the love of a husband will complete her and make her happy and satisfied and content. So much so that she even names these kids these things. And so Reuben, with Reuben, she says, now my husband will love me. But guess what? He doesn't. And with Simeon, she says, now I have two sons. That'll solve the problem. But it doesn't. And then Levi, certainly three sons will make my husband attached to me. But it doesn't. Which makes verse 35 that much more remarkable. Verse 35, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. And therefore she called his name Judah, and then she ceased bearing. So in the Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, you typically have three words that are translated as the the word God or, or God's name. You have the word Elohim, which is basically a generic version of the name God, just like the way you'd say God, right? You have the word Adonai, which is the word usually translated as Lord, okay? And then like we talked about with our creed uh, confession passage today, then there is the name Yahweh. Okay, now remember, this story is taking place before that that uh, burning bush incident and things like that. Um, also, as far as we can tell... Um, Abraham's relatives in Haran were not followers of God, okay? God didn't pick Abraham out of an already faithful people. He picked Abraham out of a group of people who were just regular pagans like everybody else was. In fact, we see that later in the Exodus where um, uh, uh, it said, hey, make a decision this day which God you will serve. Are you going to serve the God of the Egyptians whose land you are coming out of? Or are you going to serve the gods of your forefathers had across the river in Mesopotamia? Or are you going to serve the Lord? And then, and then Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? 
Laban and this family are, are probably pagans, okay? They're not followers of their one true God, probably. Which makes it strange that when Leah says this phrase, she uses the personal name of God in that, okay? So when you read that, it says, um, this time I will praise the Lord. The literal translation is, this time I will praise Yahweh. She is, she's referring to God in his personal name. Um, I think we have to read between the lines a little bit on this passage, but I think there's something significant going on. Leah has come to realize something. In between having Simeon or Levi and Judah, her husband isn't going to love her the way she wants to be loved. It doesn't matter what she does. It doesn't matter how many children she bears for him. He will never see in her what he sees in Rachel. That's just the way it's going to be. He cannot be the love that she needs. But the key is this. Yahweh can. Right? God can be the love that she needs. And God is and God will be and God will continue to be. Yahweh looks beyond the things that the world sees as broken and unattractive. Right? God looks beyond the weak, fragile, plain eyes of Leah and loves her deeply and truly for who she is. Yahweh, the God of the universe, is where she can find completeness. He is where she can find the love that she has always desired. Last week we read that passage where we see Jacob saying, if things go well for me, right, if God, if you'll give me all these things that I want, then I will follow you and you'll be my God and I'll worship you. And yet with Leah, we see none of that conditionality, right? Um, Leah is unwanted and unloved. The life she wanted is, for all intents and purposes, out of reach, right? She's not going to have that fairy tale that she intended, But she doesn't look to God and say, if you'll give me these things, then you will be my God and I'll worship you. No, what happens is she finally realizes God is the only place these things can be found. And so when she has her fourth child, she says, now I will praise the Lord. So certainly marriage is a good thing. Like I'm not trying to dog marriage or anything, right? It's meant to be a blessing. It's meant to be a means of our sanctification. But marriage cannot and should not be our happiness and our joy and our meaning. To say it another way, marriage cannot bear the weight of your joy. If you place the weight of your contentment on marriage or really any person, a child or a parent or a friend, it will buckle beneath the strain and it will fail you. Only Yahweh can bear that weight. Only God can fill the hole that is in our hearts and in our lives. And so then what does it say in the last uh, verse there? The scriptures then say, then she ceased bearing. Except what's interesting is she doesn't. Okay? She doesn't quit bearing children. She still has a couple of children to go. There seems to be a gap, though. But I think why it says that, the point of that passage is to say this. Not that she's never going to have any more kids, um, but that... She stopped bearing for the purpose of trying to win her husband. 
She's not doing that anymore. And so she is ceasing that process with this last child who is named Judah. And Judah's name comes from the word that basically means praise. And so she says, from this day forward, I will praise the Lord because God is enough. Because God is ultimately sufficient. All the things that she longs for, she will find in God. So St. Augustine said it in, in a beautiful way. He said, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. And that's exactly Leah's story. She is restless until she realizes that God is the only place for her broken heart. And you know what? God is faithful to Leah, and he doesn't forget Leah. And in fact, we find out things about Leah that all of a sudden change the whole story and feed into the larger narrative of the gospel um, Bible-wide. So first off, Leah is honored in the fact that she is buried in the grave of the patriarchs. Some of us were talking the other day about how there's this cave still in Israel called the Cave of the Patriarchs. They built a big castle around it, but it is the the traditional site of where all of these patriarchs are buried. And so Abraham and Sarah are buried in that cave, and Isaac and Rebekah are buried in that cave. Jacob eventually will be buried in that cave, and Leah's, when she dies, she is taken and buried in that cave. Rachel is not. Rachel is not buried there. Rachel's circumstances are a little different. If you remember, she dies in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin. Um, and, and her story is significant too. God doesn't, you know, throw her to the side or anything. There are some neat things about her, um, life and death and legacy too. But Leah finds a place of honor among the graves of the patriarchs. But something far more important than that, more central to all of these things. Leah is the mother of Judah. And Judah is the ancestor of Jesus. Jesus comes to us through Leah's line, not through Rachel's. Even though Rachel's children are the ones who are loved, right? When Joseph comes along, we know Joseph and the the coat of many, many colors and all that. Joseph is the favored son. And when they think he's dead, Benjamin is the favored son, okay? But it's not the favored sons that end up being in the line of Jesus. Leah, the unwanted, the undesired, the the pushed aside, she will be the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus, the Messiah. And so we see in that a picture that even in the lineage of Jesus Christ, God has not forgotten the brokenhearted. God has not turned away from those who have been abandoned and thrown aside by the world. And that God is the God of those people. And that if they will turn to him, that they will find their joy and their fulfillment and their sufficiency in him. And we have the same promise. If we seek for those things in the world, seek for those things in our relationships, seek for those things in our families, in our children, in our spouses, in our jobs... We will be let down every single time. But if we will seek our sufficiency in Jesus Christ, he will live up to that and bear the weight of that every single time. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, you you are the God of the brokenhearted. God, we are Leah in this story. I think it would be easy for us to read this and think that we play the role 
of, of Jacob um, or, or Rachel, but God, we are Leah. We are the people who were foolish and sinners. God, we have made stupid mistakes and we have been um, treated um, poorly and harshly and violently by a world around us and by people around us. God, we're Leah in this story, and yet you call out to us from your scriptures that you are the God of the brokenhearted and the pushed aside. God, you pay attention. You watch. You see the things that go on. And God, we are not left without a spouse. We are not left without someone that loves us. God, in your, in your word, in, in the book of Isaiah, you say this. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. God, you have seen those who are cast off and you have loved us. That you have sent your son to die um, for those very people. God, we thank you for your love and your mercy to us. We ask that you would help us. God, change our hearts. Fashion our hearts so that we find our joy and contentment and fulfillment and sufficiency in nothing the world has to offer, but only in the cross of Jesus Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.